1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Greatest Love Stories. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 15 and 16. From Lucy Baud Montgomery's Anne of Avonlea. And now, chapter 15, The Beginning of Vacation. Anne locked the schoolhouse door on a still, yellow evening, when the winds were purring in the spruces around the playground, and the shadows were long and lazy by the edge of the woods. She dropped the key into her pocket with a sigh of satisfaction. The school year was ended. She had been re-engaged for the next, with many expressions of satisfaction. Only Mr. Harmon Andrews told her she might use the strap more often, and two delightful months of a well-earned vacation beckoned her invitingly. Anne felt at peace with the world, and herself, as she walked down the hill with her basket of flowers in her hand. Since the earliest Mayflowers, Anne had never missed her weekly pilgrimage to Matthew's grave. "'Everyone else in Avonlea, except Marilla, "'had already forgotten quiet, shy, unimportant Matthew Cuthbert. "'But his memory was still green in Anne's heart, and always would be. "'She could never forget the kind old man "'who had been the first to give her the love and sympathy "'her starved childhood had craved. "'At the foot of the hill a boy was sitting on the fence "'in the shadow of the spruces, "'a boy with big, dreamy eyes and a beautiful, sensitive face. "'He swung down and joined Anne, smiling.' but there were traces of tears on his cheeks. I I thought I'd wait for you, teacher, because I knew you were going to the graveyard, he said, slipping his hand into hers. I'm going there, too. I've taken this bouquet of geraniums to put on Grandpa Irving's grave for Grandma. And look, teacher, I'm going to put this bunch of white roses beside Grandpa's grave in memory of my little mother, because I can't go to her grave to put it there. But don't you think she'll know all about it, just the same? Yes, I'm sure she will, Paul. You see, teacher, it's just three years today since my little mother died. It's such a long, long time, but it hurts just as much as ever. And I miss her just as much as ever. Sometimes it seems to me that I just can't bear it. It hurts so much. Paul's voice quivered and his lip trembled. He looked down at his roses, hoping that his teacher would not notice the tears in his eyes. "'And yet,' said Anne, very softly, "'you wouldn't want it to stop hurting. You wouldn't want to forget your mother, even if you could.' "'No, indeed I wouldn't. That's just the way I feel. "'You're so good at understanding, teacher. Nobody else understands so well. Not even Grandma, although she's very good to me.' "'Father understood pretty well.' But still, I couldn't talk much to him about mother because it made him feel so bad. When he put his hand over his face, I always knew it was time to stop. Poor father, he must be dreadfully lonesome without me. But you see he has nobody but a housekeeper now, and he thinks housekeepers are no good to bring up little boys, especially when he has to be away from home so much on business. Grandmothers are better, next to mothers. Some day when I'm brought up, I'll go back to Father and we're never going to be parted again. Paul had talked so much to Anne about his mother and father that she felt as if she had known them. She thought his mother must have been very like what he was himself, in temperament and disposition, and she had an idea that Stephen Irving was a rather reserved man with a deep and tender nature which he kept hidden scrupulously from the world. Father's not very easy to get acquainted with, Paul had said once. I never really got acquainted with him until after my mother died. But he's splendid when you do get to know him. I love him the best in all the world. And Grandma Irving next, and then you. I'd love you next to father if it wasn't my duty to love Grandma Irving best, because she's doing so much for me. I wish she would leave the lamp in my room till I go to sleep, though. She takes it right out as soon as she tucks me up, because she says I mustn't be a coward. I'm not scared, but I'd rather have the light. My mother used always to sit beside me and hold my hand till I went to sleep. I expect she spoiled me. Mothers do sometimes, you know. No, Anne did not know this, although she might imagine it. She thought sadly of her little mother, the mother who had thought her so perfectly beautiful, and who had died so long ago, and was buried beside her boyish husband in that unvisited grave far away. Anne couldn't remember her mother, and for this reason... She almost envied Paul. My birthday is next week, said Paul, as they walked up the long red hill, basking in the June sunshine. And Father wrote me that he's sending me something that he thinks I'll like better than anything else he could send. I believe it has come already, for grandma's keeping the bookcase drawer locked, and that's something new. And when I asked her why, she just looked mysterious and said, Little boys mustn't be too curious. It's very exciting to have a birthday, isn't it? I'll be 11. You'd never think it to look at me, would you? Grandma says I'm very small for my age and that it's all because I don't eat enough porridge. I do my very best, but Grandma gives such generous platefuls. There's nothing mean about Grandma, I can tell you. Ever since you and I had that talk about praying going home from Sunday school that day, teacher, when you said we ought to pray about all our difficulties... I prayed every night that God would give me enough grace to enable me to eat every bit of my porridge in the mornings. But I've never been able to do it yet. And whether it's because I have too little grace or too much porridge, I really don't know. Grandma says Father was brought up on porridge, and it certainly did work well in his case, for you ought to see the shoulders he has. But sometimes, concluded Paul with a sigh and a meditative air, I really think porridge will be the death of me. Anne permitted herself a smile, since Paul was not looking at her. All Avonlea knew that old Mrs. Irving was was bringing her grandson up in accordance with the good, old-fashioned methods of diet and morals. "'Let us hope not, dear,' Anne said cheerfully. "'How are your rock people coming on? Does the oldest twin still continue to behave himself?' "'He has to,' said Paul emphatically. "'He knows I won't associate with him if he doesn't. He is really full of wickedness, I think.' And has Nora found out about the golden lady yet? No, but I think she suspects. I'm almost sure she watched me the last time I went to the cave. I don't mind if she finds out. It's only for her sake I don't want her to, so that her feelings won't be hurt. But if she is determined to have her feelings hurt, it can't be helped. If I were to go to the shore some night with you, do you think I could see your rock people too? Paul shook his head gravely. "'No, I don't think you could see my rock people. "'I'm the only person who can see them. "'But you could see rock people of your own. "'You're one of the kind that can. "'We're both that kind. "'You know, teacher,' he added, squeezing her hand chumbly. "'Isn't it splendid to be that kind, teacher?' "'It's splendid,' Anne agreed, "'gray shining eyes looking down into blue shining ones. "'Anne and Paul both knew how fair the realm imagination opens to the view, and both knew the way to that happy land. There the rose of joy bloomed immortal by dale and stream, clouds never darkened the sunny day, sweet bells never jangled out of tune, and kindred spirits abounded. The knowledge of that land's geography, east of the sun, west of the moon, is priceless lore, not to be bought in any marketplace." It must be the gift of the good fairies at birth, and the years can never deface it or take it away. It is better to possess it, living in a garret, than to be the inhabitant in palaces without it. The Avonlea graveyard was as yet the grass-grown solitude it had always been. To be sure, the improvers had an eye on it, and Priscilla Grant had read a paper on cemeteries before the last meeting of the society. At some future time, the improvers meant to have the likened wayward old board fence replaced by a neat wire railing the grass mown and the leaning monuments straightened up Anne put on matthew's grave the flowers she had brought for it and then went over to the little poplar shaded corner where hester gray slept ever since the day of the spring picnic Anne had put flowers on hester's grave when she visited matthew's "'The evening before, she had made a pilgrimage "'back to the little deserted garden in the woods "'and brought from there some of Hester's own white roses. "'I thought you would like them better than any others, dear,' "'she said softly. "'Anne was still sitting there when a shadow fell over the grass, "'and she looked up to see Mrs. Allen. "'They walked home together. "'Mrs. Allen's face was not the face of the girl bride "'whom the minister had brought to Avonlea five years before. "'It had lost some of its bloom and youthful curves.' "'and there were fine, patient lines about her eyes and mouth. "'A tiny grave in that very cemetery accounted for some of them, "'and some new ones had come during the recent illness, "'now happily over, of her little son. "'But Mrs. Allen's dimples were as sweet and sudden as ever, "'her eyes as clear and bright and true, "'and what her face lacked of girlish beauty "'was now more than atoned for in added tenderness and strength. "'I suppose you are looking forward to your vacation, Han,' she said, as they left the graveyard. Anne nodded. "'Yes, I could roll the word as a sweet morsel under my tongue. I think the summer's going to be lovely. For one thing, Mrs. Morgan is coming to the island in July, and Priscilla is going to bring her up. I feel one of my old thrills at the mere thought.' "'Well, I hope you have a good time, Anne. You've worked very hard this past year, and you've been successful.' "'Oh, I don't know. I've come so far short in so many things.' "'I haven't done what I meant to do when I began to teach last fall. "'I haven't lived up to my ideals.' (laughs) "'None of us ever do,' said Mrs. Allen with a sigh. "'But then, Anne, you know what Lowell says. "'Not failure, but low aim, is crime. "'We must have ideals and try to live up to them, "'even if we never quite succeed. "'Life would be a sorry business without them. "'With them, it's grand and great. "'Hold fast to your ideals, Anne.' "'I shall try, but I have to let go most of my theories,' said Anne, laughing a little. "'I had the most beautiful set of theories you ever knew when I started out as a schoolman, "'but every one of them has failed me at some pinch or another. "'Even the theory on corporal punishment,' teased Mrs. Allen. "'But Anne flushed. "'I shall never forgive myself for whipping Anthony.' "'Nonsense, dear. He deserved it. And it agreed with him.' You have had no trouble with him since, and he has come to think there is nobody like you. Your kindness won his love after the idea that a girl was no good was rooted out of his stubborn mind. He may have deserved it, but that's not the point. If I had calmly and deliberately decided to whip him because I thought it a just punishment for him, I would not feel over it as I do. But the truth is, Mrs. Allen, that I just flew into a temper and whipped him because of that. I wasn't thinking whether it was just or unjust— Even if he hadn't deserved it, I'd have done it just the same. That's what humiliates me. Well, we all make mistakes, dear, so just put it behind you. We should regret our mistakes and learn from them, but never carry them forward into the future with us. There goes Gilbert Blythe on his wheel. Home for his vacation, too, I suppose. How are you and he getting on with your studies? Pretty well. We plan to finish the Virgil tonight. There are only twenty lines to do. Then we're not going to study any more until September. Do you think you'll ever get to college? Oh, I don't know. Anne looked dreamily afar to the opal-tinted horizon. Marilla's eyes will never be much better than they are now, although we are so thankful to think that they will not get worse. And then there are the twins. Somehow I don't believe their uncle will ever really send for them. Perhaps college may be around the bend in the road, but I haven't got to the bend yet, and I don't think much about it. "'lest I might grow discontented. "'Well, I should like to see you go to college, Anne, "'but if you never do, don't be discontented about it. "'We make our own lives wherever we are. "'After all, college can only help us to do it more easily. "'They are broad or narrow according to what we put into them, "'not but we get out. "'Life is rich and full here, everywhere, "'if we can only learn how to open our whole hearts "'to its richness and fullness. "'I think I understand what you mean.' Said Anne thoughtfully, and I know I have so much to feel thankful for. Oh, so much! My work, and Paul Irving, and the dear twins, and all my friends. Do you know, Mrs. Allen, I'm so thankful for friendship, it beautifies life so much. True friendship is a very helpful thing indeed, said Mrs. Allen, and we should have a very high ideal of it, and never sully it by any failure in truth and sincerity. I fear the name of friendship is often degraded to a kind of intimacy that has nothing of real friendship in it. Yes, like Gertie Pies and Julia Bells. They are very intimate and go everywhere together. But Gertie is always saying nasty things of Julia behind her back. And everybody thinks she's jealous of her because she's always so pleased when anybody criticizes Julia. I think it's desecration to call that friendship. If we have friends, we should look only for the best in them and give them the best that's in us. Don't you think? "'Then friendship would be the most beautiful thing in the world.' "'Friendship is very beautiful,' smiled Mrs. Allen. "'But some day.' Then she paused abruptly. In the delicate, white-browed face beside her, with its candid eyes and mobile features, there was still far more of the child than of the woman. Anne's heart, so far harbored, only dreams of friendship and ambition, and Mrs. Allen did not wish to brush the bloom from her sweet unconsciousness so she left her sentence for the future years to finish. We'll return with Chapter 16 right after these sponsor messages. AND NOW CHAPTER Sixteen: THE SUBSTANCE OF THINGS HOPED FOR "'Anne,' said Davy appealingly, scrambling up on the shiny leather-covered sofa in the Green Gables kitchen, where Anne sat, reading a letter, "'Anne, I'm awful hungry. You've no idea.' "'I'll get you a piece of bread and butter in a minute,' said Anne absently. Her letter evidently contained some exciting news, for her cheeks were as pink as the roses on the big bush outside.' and her eyes were as starry as only Anne's eyes could be. "'But I ain't bread-and-butter hungry,' said Davy in a disgusted tone. "'I'm plum cake-hungry.' "'Oh!' laughed Anne, laying down her letter and putting her arm about Davy to give him a squeeze. "'That's a kind of hunger that can be endured very comfortably, Davy boy. "'You know it's one of Marilla's rules "'that you can't have anything but bread-and-butter between meals.' "'Well, give me a piece, then. Please.' Davy had been at last taught to say, please, but he generally tacked it on as an afterthought. He looked with approval at the generous slice Anne presently brought to him. You always put such a nice lot of butter on it, Anne. Marilla spreads it pretty thin. It slips down a lot easier when there's plenty of butter. The slice slipped down with tolerable ease, judging from its rapid disappearance. Davy slid headfirst off the sofa, turned a double somersault on the rug, and then sat up and announced decidedly, "'Anne, I've made up my mind about heaven. "'I don't want to go there.' "'Why not?' asked Anne gravely. "'Because heaven is in Simon Fletcher's garret, "'and I don't like Simon Fletcher.' "'Heaven? In Simon Fletcher's garret?' gasped Anne, "'too amazed even to laugh. Davy Keith, whatever put such extraordinary idea into your head?' "'Milty Boulder says that's where it is. "'It was last Sunday in Sunday school.' The lesson was about Elijah and Elisha, and I up and asked Miss Rogerson where heaven was. Miss Rogerson looked awful offended. She was cross anyhow, because when she asked us what Elijah left Elisha when he went to heaven, Milty Bolter said, His old clothes. And us fellas all laughed before we thought. I wish we could think first and do things afterwards, because then you wouldn't do them. But Milty didn't mean to be disrespectful. He just couldn't think of the name of the thing. Miss Rogerson said heaven was where God was, and I wasn't to ask questions like that. Milty nudged me and said in a whisper, "'Heaven's in Uncle Simon's garret, and I'll explain about it on the road home.'" So when we was coming home, he explained. Miltie's a great hand at explaining things. Even if he don't know anything about anything, he'll make up a lot of stuff, and so he get it all explained all the time. His mother is Mrs. Simon's sister, and he went with her to the funeral when his cousin, Jane Ellen, died. The minister said she'd gone to heaven, though Miltie says she was lying right before them in the coffin. But he's supposed they carried the coffin to the garret afterwards. Well, when Miltie and his mother went upstairs after it was all over to get her bonnet, he asked her where heaven was that Jane Ellen had gone to. and She pointed right to the ceiling and said, up there. Milty knew there wasn't anything but the garret over the ceiling, so that's how he found out. And he's been awful scared to go to his Uncle Simon's ever since. Anne took Davy on her knee and did her best to straighten out this theological tangle. She was much better fitted for the task than Marilla, for she remembered her own childhood and had an instinctive understanding of the curious ideas that seven-year-olds sometimes get about matters that are, of course, very plain and simple to grown-up people. She had just succeeded in convincing Davy that heaven was not in Simon Fletcher's garret when Marilla came in from the garden, where she and Dora had been picking peas. Dora was an industrious little soul and never happier than when helping in various small tasks suited to her chubby fingers. She fed chickens, picked up chips, wiped dishes, and ran errands galore. She was neat, faithful, and observant. She never had to be told how to do a thing twice, and never forgot any of her little duties. Davy, on the other hand, was rather heedless and forgetful, but he had the born knack of winning love, and even yet Anna Marilla liked him the better. While Dora proudly shelled the peas and Davy made boats of the pods with mats made of matches and sails made of paper, Anne told Marilla about the wonderful contents of her letter. Oh, Marilla, what do you think? I've had a letter from Priscilla, and she says that Mrs. Morgan is on the island, and that if it is fine Thursday, they are going to drive up to Avonlea, and they'll reach here about twelve. They will spend the afternoon with us and go to the hotel at White Sands in the evening, because some of Mrs. Morgan's American friends are staying there. "'Oh, Marilla! Isn't it wonderful? "'I can hardly believe I'm not dreaming.' "'I dare say Mrs. Morgan is a lot like other people,' "'said Marilla dryly, "'although she did feel a trifle excited herself. "'Mrs. Morgan was a famous woman, "'and a visit from her was no commonplace occurrence. "'They'll be here to dinner, then?' "'Yes, and, and, oh, Marilla, "'may I cook every bit of the dinner myself? "'I want to feel that I can do something "'for the author of The Rosebud Garden.' "'if it's only to cook a dinner for her. "'You won't mind, will you? "'Goodness, I'm not so fond of stewing over a hot fire in July "'that it would vex me very much to have someone else do it. "'You're quite welcome to the job.' "'Oh, thank you,' said Anne, "'as if Marilla had just conferred a tremendous favor. "'I'll make up the menu this very night.' "'You'd better not try to put on too much style,' warned Marilla, "'a little alarmed by the high-flown sound of menu. "'You're likely to come to grief if you do.' Oh, I'm not going to put on any style, if you mean trying to do or have things we don't usually have on festive occasions, assured Anne. That would be affectation, and although I know I haven't as much sense and steadiness as a girl of 17 and a schoolteacher ought to have, I'm not so silly as that, but I want to have everything as nice and dainty as possible. Davy boy, don't leave those peapods on the back stairs. Someone might slip on them. I'll have a light soup to begin with. You know I can make lovely cream of onion soup "'and then a couple of roast fowls. "'I'll have the two white roosters. "'I have real affection for those roosters, "'and they've been pets ever since the grey hen "'hatched out just the two of them. "'Little balls of yellow down. "'But I know they would have to be sacrificed sometime, "'and surely there couldn't be a worthier occasion than this. "'But, oh, Marilla, I cannot kill them, "'not even for Mrs. Morgan's sake. "'I'll have to ask John Henry Carter to come over "'and do it for me.' "'I'll do it,' volunteered Davy. "'If Marilla hold him by the legs,' 'Cause I guess you'd take both my hands to manage the axe. Then I'll have peas and beans and cream potatoes and I'll let a lettuce salad for vegetables. Resumed Anne, and for dessert, lemon pie with whipped cream and coffee and cheese and ladyfingers. I'll make the pies and ladyfingers tomorrow and do up my white muslin dress. And I must tell Diana tonight, for she'll want to do up hers. Missus Morgan's heroines are nearly always dressed in white muslin, and Diana and I have always resolved that that was what we would wear if we ever met her. It will be such a delicate compliment, don't you think? Davy, dear, you mustn't poke peapods into the cracks of the floor. I must ask Mr. and Mrs. Allen and Miss Stacy to dinner, too, for they're all very anxious to meet Mrs. Morgan. It's so fortunate she's coming while Miss Stacy's here. Davy, don't, don't sail the peapods in the water bucket. Go out to the trough. Oh, I do hope it'll be fine Thursday, and I think it will, for Uncle Abe said last night when he called at Mr. Harrison's "'that it was going to rain most of this week.' "'That's a good sign,' agreed Marilla. "'Anne ran across to Orchard Slope that evening "'to tell the news to Diana, "'who was also very much excited over it, "'and they discussed the matter in the hammock swing "'under the big willow in the berry garden. "'Oh, Anne, mayn't I help you cook the dinner?' "'implored Diana. "'You know I can make splendid lettuce salad.' "'Indeed you may,' said Anne unselfishly. "'And I shall want you to help me decorate, too.' "'I mean to have the parlor simply a bower of blossoms, "'and the dining table is to be adorned with wild roses. "'Oh, I do hope everything will go smoothly. "'Mrs. Morgan's heroines never get into scrapes "'or are taken at a disadvantage, "'and they're always so self-possessed "'and such good housekeepers. "'They seem to be born good housekeepers. "'You remember that Gertrude in Edgewood days "'kept house for her father when she was only eight years old. "'When I was eight years old, "'I hardly knew how to do a thing except bring up children.' Mrs. Morgan must be an authority on girls when she has written so much about them, and I do want her to have a good opinion of us. I've imagined it all out a dozen different ways, what she'll look like, and what she'll say, and what I'll say, and I'm so anxious about my nose. There are seven freckles on it. As you can see, they came at the EVIS picnic, when I went around in the sun without my hat. I suppose it's ungrateful of me to worry over them, when I should be thankful they're not spread all over my face as they once were. "'but I do wish they hadn't come. "'All Miss Morgan's heroines have such perfect complexions. "'I can't recall a freckled one among them.' "'Yours are not very noticeable,' comforted Diana. "'Try a little lemon juice on them tonight.' "'The next day Anne made her pies and ladyfingers, "'did up her muslin dress, "'and swept and dusted every room in the house. "'A quite unnecessary proceeding, "'for Green Gables was, as usual, "'in the apple pie order dear to Marilla's heart.' but Anne felt that a fleck of dust would be a desecration in a house that was to be honored by a visit from Charlotte E. Morgan. She even cleaned out the catch-all closet under the stairs, although there was not the remotest possibility of Mrs. Morgan seeing its interior. But I want to feel that it's in perfect order, even if she isn't to see it, Anne told Marilla. You know, in her book, Golden Keys, she makes her two heroines, Alice and Louisa, take for their motto that verse of Longfellow's In the elder days of art, builders wrought with greatest care, each minute and unseen part, for the gods see everywhere. And so they always kept their cellar stairs scrubbed and never forgot to sweep under the beds. I should have a guilty conscience if I thought this closet was in disorder when Mrs. Morgan was in the house. Ever since we read Golden Keys last April, Diana and I have taken that verse for our motto too. That night, John Henry Carter and Davy, between them, contrived to execute the two white roosters, and Anne dressed them, the usually distasteful task glorified in her eyes by the destination of the plump birds. "'I don't like picking fowls, she told Marilla, "'but isn't it fortunate we don't have to put our souls into what our hands may be doing? I've been picking chickens with my hands, but in my imagination I've been roaming the Milky Way.' "'I thought you scattered more feathers over the floor than usual.' remarked Marilla. Then Anne put Davy to bed and made him promise that he would behave perfectly the next day. If I'm as good as good can be all day tomorrow, will you let me be just as bad as I like all the next day? asked Davy. No, I couldn't do that, said Anne discreetly. But I'll take you and Dora for a row in the flat right to the bottom of the pond. And we'll go ashore on the sand hills and have a picnic. It's a bargain, said Davy. I'll be good, you bet. I meant to go over to Mr. Harrison's and fire peas for my new popgun of ginger, but another day will do just as well. I expect it will be just like Sunday, but a picnic at the shore will make up for that. Thanks for joining us for these two chapters from Anne of Avonlea. Next week, chapters 17 and 18. We do enjoy and appreciate reviews, and here are a few recent ones for you. First one, five stars. Excellent Anne of Avonlea. I love the stories of Anne of Avonlea, a classic story, and John tells it so well. I look forward to hearing the stories while I'm stuck in traffic in Manhattan. Sean from Yonkers, New York. Irish gal 333, U.S. Thank you, Sean. Much appreciated. The next one, Anne of Avonlea, five stars. I love the adventures of Anne. I love the way you read the stories. You really make the people come alive. Thank you for the stories that you read. Down from Laura Amy, Apple Podcast, U.S. And this one for Maria, a story, we did, uh, a story we did a few months ago. Five stars, best narration yet, and a great adventure. Really enjoying Marie, Steve in Texas. That one, Casnevo, Apple Podcast U.S. Thank you all so very much for taking the time to sit down and write these reviews. They are greatly appreciated, and I know they help new listeners find us. Thanks for being with us this week. Tune in next week, Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Until then, everyone. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.